five, will you stand and we'll sing it together. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Give thanks to the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Give 
Please be seated. This morning we have the privilege of participating in the sacrament of baptism. And so I want to just see in your order, I want to invite uh, Russell and Olivia uh, Reimer to come forward to bring their daughter Oriana to be baptized. Obviously this is a, a special day um, for Russell and Olivia and Oriana and all, all their family, but it's also uh, a special day for all of us, whenever we participate in baptism, it's a reminder of, of who God is and the nature of, of his people. Water is uh, a sign of life, and it is a sign that reminds us that God can do what we cannot do. God can bring life, but also God can bring new life, new birth. He can make it that we are washed clean, a new start. And so this is something that... Uh, you and I cannot do on our own, but only God can do in his grace. And so this is a special day uh, for Oriana, but it's also a reminder of the church, for this is the sign of God's people. When we come into God's family, into his community, we receive this sign of life, this sign of new life in Christ, the one that, what God can do for us in Christ. So let's give thanks and let's pray uh, for this special time. Lord, we thank you for baptism, this gift that you have established, Jesus, that reminds us of who you are, the one who came from heaven to, to bring new life to men and women, to children, new life of reminding us of forgiveness, reminding us that we're not alone, that we walk with you as your children, and that you form us as a people marked out by your grace, by your washing in Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that this would be not just something that goes on Oriana's uh, skin, that, that this water, though, would become a reality in her heart by your work of your spirit through her parents and through this church and through all the people in her life, that she would not only receive this outward sign, but it would become an inward reality by the work of you. Give this, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Russell and Olivia, I'm going to ask you these uh, three questions that we ask parents as they bring their children to be baptized. Do you acknowledge Oriana's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? And do you claim God's covenant promises on her behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do for your own? And do you now unreservedly dedicate Oriana to God and promise in humble reliance upon God's grace that you will set before her a godly example that you'll pray with her and for her, that you'll teach her the faith, and that you'll strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What's your daughter's full Christian name? This is Oriana Faith Reimer. Oriana Faith. Baptize you in the name of the Father. In the name of the Son. 
Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray for Oriana. Lord, we thank you for Oriana, and we acknowledge that she is a gift from you. We thank you that you made her and that you have blessed her. We thank you how she is a reminder of your generosity. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit working in her life, that she would uh, find delight in you, that she'd find rest in your grace, that she'd find delight in your creation and your word, and that she would walk not just in her own strength, but in the strength that you give, that she can serve others in your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a way, don't go, don't go yet, because I hear it. <laughs> so. It's a way to acknowledge that we're receiving Orion to the life of the covenant, the, fam- the covenant family. Let's stand together, and you'll see in your order of worship a, a responsive blessing that we can offer. Oriana, may the Lord preserve your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore, amen. Please remain standing that we can sing together. <laughs> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks because, Lord, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. It is you alone who does great wonders, who by your own understanding made the heavens and spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. All of creation echoes your praise because surely your steadfast love endures forever. It is you alone who brought Israel out from bondage in Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through it, who overthrew Pharaoh and his host, and who led your people through the wilderness. Surely your steadfast love endures forever. It is you alone who sustained your people for generations, who sent them prophets and teachers, and in these last days sent your own Son, Christ Jesus our Lord, to save us from sin and death and to lead us home to everlasting life with you. Surely your steadfast love endures forever. Because of your great love demonstrated to us in Jesus, We can trust in you as the one who remembers us in our lowest state, who will rescue us from our fears and doubts, who continues to care for all creation and will sustain us in the midst of our needs. With all that we each bring with us today, 
our joys and our sorrows, our gifts and our needs. Help us to trust that surely your steadfast love endures for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, our kids are dismissed, kindergarten through fourth grade, uh, to join with children's worship in the back. Now, at this point in our service, in our time together, we have opportunity to bring our sin and our need before the Lord in a time of confession. And we'll do that first by confessing our sins together and corporately, and then through song, and then through a time of silent personal confession. So as you see in your order, um, let's confess our sins together. Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? He doesn't care what happens to me. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and increases the strength of the weary. Lord, in our weariness and discouragement, let us remember your word. Even the young shall grow weary, but they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.
Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to the Lord. Lord, we humbly ask that you would remember us in your mercy. We depend on you and need your mercy and grace every day. Let our lives not be marked by our sin and our failings, but instead by your steadfast and enduring love. Help us to trust you and grant to us faithful patience, patience with ourselves, with one another, and with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand for the assurance of faith. And let's say together, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Well, as those who have received the welcome and acceptance of God, let's turn now to one another and share it.
The Old Testament lesson is from Exodus 14, 19 through 30. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them, on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. 
And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. The Gospel lesson is from Luke 1, 46-55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. It's good to be worshiping with you. Thanks, Lucy, for reading from the scriptures. Uh, if you'll see a note in your order that we're going to um, continue our summer s- series um, looking at what we call the 15 New Testament words of life, uh, using a, a book there to guide us and thinking about this. And so each Sunday we, uh, during the summer, we've been looking at a different uh, book from the New Testament and then a key word that helps us think about what God has done for us in Christ. And so today we're going to look at 1 Timothy, uh, the first letter that Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And the key word is salvation salvation. First Timothy is a part of three letters that together are called the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus. And in these letters, Paul writes to these two young pastors to guide them and to instruct them and to encourage them. And one of the themes that is in these pastoral letters is that Paul says it's important to distinguish between what he calls false or unhelpful teaching and teaching that is good, and teaching that is true. He says we don't want teaching that goes around and around in circles or picks up just interesting theories. Rather, we want teaching that is about Christ, about the gospel. And so as part of that, in our passage today, we see that Paul writes about his personal experience with Christ, with the gospel, with salvation. He writes about Christ, who in his perfect patience saves sinners. So let's look at our passage. This is from 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. You can follow in your order or in your Bible, and we can hear Paul tell the story of how God has intervened in his life. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, 
because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Well, as we look at this passage and think about salvation, uh, I want to form our sermon around two questions. Uh, the first question being, what are we saved from? What are we saved from? And then the second one we'll look at is, what are we saved for? What are we saved from and what are we saved for? And as a way to begin uh, asking this first question, what are we saved from, I want to mention that there was a number of years ago, about 15 years ago, that there was a magazine that uh, did something called the Napkin Project. And what they did is they took cocktail napkins, uh, little squares of napkin, and they mailed it to 10 different authors, asking them to write short stories or micro-fictions on the napkin, as maybe you have done before writing out a note or something on a napkin. And so what they did is they received these back, and they actually published the, the picture of the napkin written in you know, some kind of pen, and then also they published the words definitely in case you had a hard time reading what was written on the napkin. But it, what an interesting idea, right? What, how many lines can you actually put on a napkin? How much of a story can you tell? And if you can picture that or even think about your own, you know, writing down a, a quick note, it, makes it helps us think about what Paul is doing here. Of course, he's not writing a, a micro-fiction or a short story. He's writing about his own actual experience. But he's taking just a few lines a few lines to quickly say, this is what's happened to me in Christ. Writing it out in a, in a few lines, six verses saying, this is what God has done. This is who I am. And he starts, you know, the first couple lines, how, how does he begin the story? You might have noticed he begins by using three words to describe his kind of former condition. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. There's no, no beating around the bush here, right? He's, he's not sugarcoating it. He's saying, I spoke lies about God. I arrogantly judged others. I acted with violence. I, I was proud, finding satisfaction in insulting and humiliating and hurting others. But after saying those words to describe his condition, do you see what he says next? But I received mercy. Thanks to Jesus, I received mercy. A couple Sundays ago, I mentioned the transitional word, but, or the transitional phrase, but now, that surely these words are some of the most important ones in all of Scripture. We might not think about them as you know, our favorite passages, but the word but, or, or but now, it's crucial. We see it here, but I received mercy. But we see it elsewhere, also like in Ephesians 2, where Paul writes, I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but now 
because of God's great love for me, I'm alive in Christ. See, the statement, but, but I received mercy, invites us into a larger story. There is the possibility of a new start, a new name, a new connection, a new community. And this is God's gift. This is God's gift, that our story is not simply what we have or have not done or how others have or have not treated us. Our story in Christ is God acting for us. So twice in our passage, twice on this kind of handful of verses and Paul's telling his story twice, Paul writes, I received mercy. This is my story. I spoke with lies about God, arrogantly judging others, acting with violence. I was proud and thought I had God and everything else figured out. But I received mercy. This question, what are we saved from? Well, along with this opening kind of description of himself and the gift of mercy, Paul adds a trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I am the foremost sinner, meaning that I am the, the chief or the greatest, or if we want to say it the other way, I'm the worst of sinners. And maybe we can wonder, you know, is, was he really the worst? Is there some big chart, you know, somewhere keeping track of these things? And the idea here is not some kind of scientific study, not some kind of, you know, top ten list. Rather, what we see is that Paul, that part of his story is that he became vividly aware of his own sins, his own shortcomings. His conscience had been awakened, had become disturbed by the Spirit of God, and that he saw himself in a new way. He saw suddenly that he was self-righteous, that he was quick to speak or act against others, arrogantly assuming that he knew what was best. And suddenly he wondered, what hope does a man like that have? Maybe you wondered that same question. What hope does someone like that have? When we hear him describe himself as the worst of sinners, we can think of the parable that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both of these men were at the temple, and both of them were praying to God. And it's partly the human nature that, that we begin, we likely begin as the religiously confident Pharisee who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, especially like this tax collector. But through the Spirit giving us eyes to see, by the Spirit we may end up like the tax collector who beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's literally how he said, have mercy on me, the sinner. The Pharisees' trustworthy saying, the trustworthy approach, do you see, was in comparisons. There's a sense of confidence because I know that I'm better than some people. The tax collector like Paul, though, doesn't hope in comparisons doesn't hope in how I stack up to this person or that one. 
but rather hopes purely in the mercy of God for sinners. You notice that Paul does not write, I was the worst sinner, but he uses the present tense, I am. It doesn't mean that Paul hasn't grown, it doesn't mean that he hasn't changed, but that he is recognizing, if he tells you the story, if he's going to say what, who I am or what God's done in my life, this is the story, that apart from God's mercy in Christ, that's who I am, just a sinner. Well, if we think again about that napkin that I mentioned in the beginning, that writing out this story just in a few lines, we're reminded that it wasn't just that Paul did that for himself. Surely Paul benefited from remembering, just like you and I might remember from uh, remembering God's mercy to us. But imagine that napkin. He writes it out and he gives it to somebody. That's part of what he's doing here. He's giving his story. He's telling his story again to encourage Timothy, but also to encourage you and me. And so he makes it clear that this experience that he had is not just for him. And, and he does so by talking about a trustworthy saying. Here is a faithful statement for all to accept. Interestingly, five times in the pastoral letters, he uses that phrase. Five times he says, here is a, a trustworthy saying. Here is something that you can trust. Here is a word that you can take to heart and depend on. And this one in our passage is the first of the five. And this first trustworthy saying, in many ways, is a summary of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is not just my story, Paul says. It's not just for me. It's reliable, and you too should accept it. It's a reminder to us that the application of the gospel is, is personal. It's personal. It entered Paul's life, and it enters our individual lives as well. It met Paul in the midst of his arrogance, his confusion, his violence, in the midst of all sorts of mistakes. And it meets us in our realities as well. It meets us in our fears, in our failures. It meets us in our pride, mistreatment of others. It meets us in our despair, our shame. I hope that's been the experience for you. If it's not, that this is a staying, saying worthy of acceptance. I can think of myself when God began to make clear to me this good news, that this reality that God, the one who sees me completely, he loves me fully. The one who knows everything about me has acted in Christ to save me, to give me another word besides what I could say for myself. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the New Testament uses everyday language to help us grasp what this salvation means. It talks about rescue, reconciled relationships, renewal, being washed, having, being free, having a new birth. We can think of this idea of rescue, that one was stuck, one, one is stuck and can't get free and needs help. What are we saved or rescued from? And sometimes the rescuing is from our kind of human foes, those who treat us poorly or outside threats. We know that we live in a world marked 
with evil and injustice, and that humans are mistreated, they suffer, that we die. What are we saved or rescued from? Sometimes it's from the outside, but we know it also is it's rescuing us from our own sins, that we need rescuing from ourselves, our own failures and the judgment that we deserve. And that's what we see in our passage here in this this napkin that Paul writes. He admits his own need. (coughs) He admits that he was stuck. And each Sunday we do this, whether how much we think about this or not, what what Taylor just helped lead us through this time of confession and assurance, (laughs) what we do when we gather is that we collectively and individually remember and acknowledge that we need God's grace for us, that we're sinners that we need God to rescue us. In order to face our enemies of sin and evil and death, in order to have the final word in our lives, in order to rescue us, Jesus came, came into the world, took on flesh. He entered these threats, bore them and carried them and gave himself even to death to save you and me. What are we saved from? We're saved from the world around us and from the world within us, that we belong to God. So the first thing that we're invited to think about is this question, what are we saved from, that that Paul lays that out, that what God has done for us to give us a new story, a new word, a new life. The second question, though, I want us to ask for the rest of our time is what are we saved for? What are we saved for? And maybe you notice this second part of the, the, the telling of Paul's story. He writes out, I received mercy for this reason, that me as the foremost or the, the worst of sinners, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him. Although Paul's story has unique features, it is a model an example for others, a sign displaying the perfect patience of Jesus for us. It's him saying, I received mercy, and this mercy is for you as well. Although he had been a man of arrogance and violence and deeply under misunderstood God, the grace of God overwhelmed him This isn't only for him, but also for us, that we too, if we think about what God's doing, we might too be a model, not because we have it all together or we know exactly what to do, but we are a model of those who have received Christ's steadfast love. And to help us think about that in our own lives or to help us think about how he has been a model, Paul talks about grace. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Do you see how he uses that word, overflowed for me, overflowed in and through the person of Jesus? The image he's using there, that word overflowed, is the image of a river, the waters overflowing their banks. The waters bursting forth. I don't know if you know this, but Chicago, that we had one of our driest Mays ever in history. Remember back in May, a few months ago? Chicago had one of its driest Mays in history. I looked this up. 
we normally receive around five inches of rain in the month of May. But this May, we received only half an inch of rain. The soil was dry, according to the article that I read. I don't just know this, but according to the article, <laughs> it was dry eight to 10 inches down into the ground. And as a result, grass changed from bright green to yellow to grayish and crispy. Well, if you can remember that back in May, the beginning of our summer, it was dry, a drought. But since then, we've had significant amounts of rain, significant rains that have fallen. And if you're, you know, if you've noticed, I've noticed in my little yard as well that suddenly the, the rains, that the flowers or the grass, anything green went from drooping to growing, to showing life, to suddenly I needed to cut my grass very badly. <laughs> And the image here that we have in our passage, right, is that this river of grace, it does not bring devastation, but it brings blessing and life. As we can maybe imagine from our, our studies or what we've seen, that just as the Nile River overflows and crops abound, grace overflows and faith and love spring up. And what, what Paul's saying is that this experience of overflowing grace is seen most clearly, most experienced in the love and ministry and life of Jesus. And if we use this image of the, the waters overflowing onto the dry ground, we can ask again, what are we saved for? What, what blossoms, what, what new life comes out of encountering God's mercy and grace? There's a couple of things I want to mention. First, we see a, a heart of thankfulness and of worship. A heart of thankfulness and worship. Do, do you notice that when Paul tells this story, and if he's just taking a few verses, he, he sandwiches his story between a statement of thanksgiving and an, an ending full of worship and praise. He opens by saying, I thank Christ Jesus. And he ends, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Remembering and retelling his experience of Christ leads Paul to worshiping God. But I received mercy. Thank you, God. Thank you that my story is not just what I have or have not done or what others have or have not done to me. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you are gracious and that your overflowing love brings new things into my life. This waters of grace brings worship and thanks. It, the second thing we can see, though, it, it turns a sinner into one appointed for service. Appointed to service. Paul writes, I thank Jesus who has given me strength and appointed me to a servant, though I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul sees his salvation as a new beginning. He has a new name, a new story. And Christ has given him strength to, to, to fortify him and renew him, to walk in faith himself. And Christ has appointed him for service. The word service here translated from the Greek is the word diakonia, which we get the word deacon from. We have the office of deacons in our church who help lead us in the sympathy and service of Jesus. But the, the word deacon is not just for an office in the New Testament. It is a general word for serving to serve others or to serve God or to see your life and your resources not just for yourself. 
And so we ask, what are we saved for? It's, it's to be part of a new story, a new community in which God gives us a new name, forms us as part of a new people that we may show forth the grace that we've received in Christ. A new community, a new way of being in the world. I'll close just by mentioning an author named George MacDonald, who was a Scottish author um, who deeply influenced C.S. Lewis. And one of the things that he writes is about how does God work in the world? And he refers to something called the holy present. The holy present, by which he means that the way that God normally invites us to service, to share the grace that we've received, is in the common transactions of life. Of course, there might be special moments where we do special or extraordinary things to give or to act. But most of the ways that we receive or offer grace is through a conversation with a friend, a child, a parent. It's to find delight in the world around us or in the everyday pleasures of this life. It's caring for one who is sick or even our own sickness of knowing how to share that need with others. It's the love between two people or learning to be honest and ask for forgiveness or to grant it. The generosity towards others. And so today I encourage you, one, just to think about the story that you have. The story and the reminder that in Christ it doesn't exist just in what you have or have not done. But in his mercy. And in retelling that story, remembering that story, or finding it for the first time, to also see it as an invitation to participate in the life of the Spirit at work in you and around you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our lives. And I thank you for the good news that your mercy is greater than our sin. That by your mercy and your grace that we can have a new life, a new start, a new identity. I pray that that would be true for us this day, and that in Christ we may walk in new ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us, and we'll sing together.
Almighty God, at your command, all things came to be, and you continue to sustain all things by your power. Yet you are near to us, though we have rebelled against you. Your mercy never fails, and you have promised that nothing can separate us from your love. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Whenever we uh, prepare to come to the table, we remind ourselves of what this gift is. We heard in our passage that this is a trustworthy saying, full, uh, worthy of full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And this table is uh, a display of that trustworthy saying. Christ took on flesh, his body was broken, and his blood was shed. And he did so that all of us who were scattered and on our own, left to our own paths, our own ideas, our own resources, could now be brought back and have a seat at the family meal of God, to be called children of God. For our place at this table, this family meal, is not because of what we have done or what we promised to do, but it's through the broken body and shed blood of Christ, the one who took our sin and death upon him to give us a new life, a new identity. This is the good news, and it's trustworthy, full, fully uh, deserving acceptance. If you believe that, that Christ died to save you, to give you a new life, then come and eat, be reminded, be nourished. If you're not sure about that or not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be an invitation to you, a sign, an offering to ask whether you'd receive this trustworthy saying. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you for this table, these things that we can see and hold and taste that tell us about your grace, that proclaim your goodness. You did not leave us in our sin and misery, but you came to the world to save us. And so, Lord, as we eat and drink, Lord, nourish our souls, strengthen us that we may walk 
as your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Or after give, a night he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're participating in communion today, I invite you to come down the center aisle. You can receive the, the bread and cup here. You can go back on the sides. Uh, if you're able to hold the elements, uh, I ask that you do that till, uh, till everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, uh, we're glad that you're here, and we still invite you to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a prayer blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now, and, and let us receive these gifts that God gives for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, I invite you to stand that we can respond to this table um, through prayer and song. Lord, you proclaim from the throne, behold, I am making all things new. These words are trustworthy and true. Let us rejoice in this hope as we proclaim the mystery of faith. prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to continue our time of worship uh, through a chance to, to, to respond to God's generosity by giving our gifts uh, to God and the work of the church. So I invite forward the, uh, the greeters to come forward. There's a gray basket. You can put your um, communion cup in and then a silver offering plate uh, that if you'd like to give a gift uh, to the church, you can. Also, you'll see a note that if you'd like to give uh, through the website or by text, you can do that as well. And so I invite you to do that. Also, um, just want to say welcome and glad that you're here and we can worship together today. Uh, there is a black information pad uh, under the chair that's on the center aisle. Uh, if you are able to kind of grab that and fill it out and pass it out, that'd be great. Um, that we, you know who you're worshiping with today. And if you're visiting, uh, we'd love to be able to share more about the church. So I invite you to fill it out as well. So that's uh, the black pad under the uh, chair in the center aisle. Also, just a reminder that after the service, there is... Uh, coffee and bagels. Um, hopefully you can stay after a chance to get to know each other and spend time together. Uh, they're in the hallway right behind us. Uh, you can hang out there or if you'd like to go outside, there's tables and playgrounds uh, out there as well. So hopefully you can stay after. Um, just one final reminder that this Wednesday, August 2nd, is we're having a cookout in the backyard, Greco's backyard. Uh, again, their address is in the order of worship. It's just a little north of us on Ainsley, 2517 West Ainsley. So Please join us. It'd be great to have you there and enjoy our time together. Let's continue giving our gifts uh, to God and the work of the church.
Will you please stand with us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Silence in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Receive now God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.